Hey, you're listening to Guadot Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. I'm your host, Kenny Price. Today's episode nine, Reasons to Rejoice, Jesus is Uniquely Firstborn. It's the fourth part of the multi-part series, Reasons to Rejoice, a Christmas reminder that the Bible gives us plenty of reasons to be happy, to rejoice, and to be at peace. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're skipping over a portion of the scripture that has to do with the birth of John the Baptist and then also the passage that's known as the Magnificat to where Mary gives a response to the message that she's received from the angel Gabriel. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, before we get into the meat of the passage today, I do want to point out that the scripture says there in verse 4 that Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. Of course, in that part of the country, everywhere is up to Jerusalem. So Galilee, though it's north, and in our thinking, we would say he went down to Bethlehem, which was actually a city just south of Jerusalem. From where he was located geographically, it would have been an uphill journey to Bethlehem uh, on the backside of, of Jerusalem. And so when you read that passage, you might want to say, oh, look, the Bible's incorrect at that point because Nazareth is actually north of Jerusalem, north of Bethlehem, but in fact it is actually downhill from Jerusalem. And so that's kind of a cool thing that uh, the way Dr. Luke writes this passage here, that he's giving you proper geography. Also, it says that uh, there was no room for them in the inn. So many times we give the innkeeper a bad rap Uh, We characterize it as someone who was keeping the end that night, being cold-hearted against this woman who was pregnant with child. But in fact, the town of Bethlehem at that time would have most likely not been a very populated city, but because of this demand from Caesar that everyone should return to his hometown so that he could register, Rome was wanting to keep a check on all of its citizens, in order so that they could excise the proper tax, that because of that fact, the city of Bethlehem, of course, being the birthplace of David, would have been a a tremendous swell. And so the reality is, is that the inn wasn't very big, and it was overpopulated very quickly because of this demand from the reigning Caesar. But today we're going to see that Jesus is uniquely firstborn. He's uniquely firstborn. And I want you to notice the things that it says here in verses 1 through 7. It talks about important happenings. 
And I want you to notice that Luke, in writing to Theophilus, that he gives specific historical markers of Jesus' birth. Now, we know from history that Jesus was actually born probably between the, the years of 6 B.C. and 4 B.C., because we know that Herod was still alive at the point of Christ's birth. Of course, Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And we know that Herod, it's documented that he died in, according to the Julian calendar, calendar, he died in 4 B.C. And so most historians, biblical historians, feel that Christ was born around uh, between the years of 6 and 4 B.C. before the death of Herod. But he gives us, Dr. Luke gives Theophilus and gives to us today, some markers to show us that, first of all, this is a historical event. It really happened, that it was in specific days. Because he writes, and he says it happened in those days. And it's a demonstrative pronoun there in support of the word days, in those days. And so it's a specific marker. And there's some specific things that we can look for, that the rulers that were listed, which are documented historical ru rulers for that time. Uh, the first is Caesar Augustus. The second is Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. Now, the interesting thing, without going into a lot of detail about Quirinius, is he was only acting in that role for a, a very brief period of time. And there's a lot behind that. You can check that out for yourself online. But the bottom line is that Luke not only says, okay, it's in the rule of Caesar Augustus, which would have been a large swath of time, he narrows that window of time by tagging Quirinius. And so it lets us know specifically when this birth occurred. And so the second thing is that the specific event during their rule, that there was a worldwide Roman census. It says that all the world should be enrolled. And so again, this is a very specific act that we can document back in time. Also, it's even tighter than just the world census, but because it was tied to when Quirinius was governor of Syria, which I get, I guess... As I said, it's a very specific, narrow window of opportunity. And so, to me, it's impressive to see how the administrative machinery of a vast empire was set in motion to fulfill the purpose of God and the advent of His Son. Because the Bible makes it clear where the Messiah would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem, and it stands for, or interpreted into English, means house of bread. And so it's a specific location. It says that, that Mary gave birth. It happened while they were there in that place in a real town called Bethlehem and that it was in a stable, that she laid him in a manger. A manger is a food trough for the cattle or for the animals uh, that would be kept there in that, in that stable. And so some very specific days, very specific location, and it's all tags to help us understand that this was an important happening and that it can be documented in history. But it was also an important position. It literally says, and she gave birth to the son of her, the firstborn. That concept of firstborn can also mean existing before. And absolutely, this firstborn son is unique among all firstborn sons. The great Christian author C.S. Lewis calls this the miracle, the grand miracle. It's the grand miracle. And so I want you to see that Jesus is uniquely firstborn in many ways. First of all, the Bible in Colossians 1.15 says 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn before or over all creation. And so this firstborn that we're talking about, Jesus, is the firstborn before all creation. Secondly, he's the firstborn into the world. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all angels worship him. And so his incarnation, and in his incarnation, he suffered no loss in deity, but what we see is a limitation of that manifestation. And the book of Philippians chapter 2 talks about how he kept those things back. He laid them down for a time to be humbled and born as a man. And so he's also, Jesus is also the firstborn from the dead. And the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And by that being the firstborn from the dead, it means that he is the guarantor of the resurrection. And so he is preeminent. He is existing before all of creation. And Jesus is superior to all creation. And therefore, he must be firstborn in all things. And so he is the firstborn from the dead. That also speaks to the promise that there would be others to follow. The Bible also calls him the first fruits. But also, he's not only the firstborn for before all creation, the firstborn into the world, the firstborn from the dead. The Bible also says that he is the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 says that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The dynamic which characterized the early church can be explained only on the basis that Christ actually rose from the dead. And we have in that the promise that he's the firstborn among many brethren. We have the sense and the concept of a family, of brothers. And so today, dear friend, I want you to see that we have every reason to rejoice and we have every reason to be at peace because Jesus, the one whom we worship, is unique. There is no other person in the world like Jesus. There is no other being in the world like Jesus. He is uniquely firstborn, and with that, he purchased salvation for you and for me. Why? Jesus said that where I am, there you may be also. And so today, be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. Christ has overcome death. He is the author of creation. And he is the first in all things and always will be. So until next time, I bid you peace.